0: couple of closeout games and another tight one in boston big night in the nba playoff wise
1: and maybe we need to pour one out to a couple of nba greats did we see the final performance some from, from some of the best two guards in the league
0: and big four game night in the nba on wednesday night what we're going to talk about it all this is locked on nba let's get it
1: you are locked on the nba part of the locked on podcast network
0: All right, let's do this in order. I am John Corrales, Locked On Celtics host from RedsArmy.com, Boston.com Celtics contributor.
1: And I'm Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, and host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast.
0: Three games tonight, Boston-Milwaukee, Philadelphia-Miami, Golden State-San Antonio, two closeouts, and a game six coming. Let's start with Boston and Milwaukee. That is where I... Come in because Boston is my team, and the Celtics won 92-87 to take a 3-2 lead. Game 6 is on Thursday night, and Marcus Smart returned here. And a curveball from Brad Stevens' starting rookie, Shemi Ojale, who is statistically one of the worst offensive players in the league. And damn it, it paid off because defensively, he has the foot speed to stay in front of guys like Giannis, Chris Middleton when they try to drive, Milwaukee tries to drive a ton, and what the Celtics were able to do was hold Giannis Antetokounmpo to ten field goal attempts, four in the second half, one in the third quarter, and that was just a wild, wild statistic there. Uh, Giannis is obviously one of the top players in the NBA, an MVP candidate, and the Celtics were able to cut his drives off to the rim and force him to pass it off to other players uh, and and he was trying to let other guys try to do the work when he couldn't get to the rim like he wanted to. And it's a strategy that paid off on a night where Jason Tatum did not have a, a big night, a guy that they relied on. Uh, it also, that stifling interior defense caused the Celtics to hold Chris Middleton, who was supernova in the first four games of the series. They held him to a normal game he shot 61 and percent in the series coming in and then he had a pedestrian 43% shooting night and 23 points and despite some other uh you know fairly decent performances from Jabari Parker and Eric Bledsoe uh Jake th- this was mostly a Celtics defensive effort holding the Bucks to 87 points uh, in a, a real slugfest for this win
1: I mean, halftime adjustments were key for the Celtics, and like you said, they really kind of just shut off the lane for Giannis in the second half, and he was going a little bit at one point in the first half along with Chris Middleton, and you kind of took him out of this one, and you forced the ball into the hands of those role players, and they just did not really deliver. Be- combined between Snell, Brogdon, Delly, and Thawne, those guys were 0 for 12 from 3. You know, sometimes it's a make or miss league, and if they hit four of those, maybe this is a different game. Maybe, but Overall, it, it was just kind of a stifling attack from Boston.
0: In the middle of this, I said Snell can shoot as often as he wanted. He was, it, he was really searching for his shot. And if Snell is searching for his shot, then go ahead and search from a Boston perspective. And I'm sure from a Milwaukee perspective, that was something that you definitely didn't want to see. Uh, the difference here, and this might be a home road type of situation, Brogdon... Delhi, Thonmaker Maker were difference makers in games three and games four in Milwaukee. Those were games that saw an energy change when those players came in. Game four, when the Celtics were doing well with their well as a relative term, they they weren't doing as poorly with their starters
1: <laughs> as poorly uh,
0: because the, the the early part of the uh, game four was. Bad and worse. Boston was bad. Milwaukee was worse. And then Giannis went to the bench and Deleva Thon Maker came in. Brogdon came in, changed the energy, and Milwaukee made a big run with with Giannis on the bench. So that was a, a big difference, I think. And I think this series does boil down to energy, which I know it sounds cliche, but Milwaukee at home had the energy, and that means guys were making plays rather than guys dying on picks, guys missing rotations. So I think in this game in Boston, you saw guys like Terry Rozier step up when they kind of disappeared in games three and four. And that lineup of Brogdon, Delithon, Maker, Maker was gigantic in game three. Let, to a lesser degree, still very important, but to a lesser degree in Game 4. In Game 5, uh, he was a, a non-factor. And from a Boston perspective, happy to let him search for his shot. If he gets off early in in Game 6, then that might lead to some changes. I think right now, though, from Boston's perspective, Having Marcus Smart back really changes the dynamic of this series because Smart not only makes crazy plays, and at the end of this game he dove on the floor. Uh, there was a there was a busted Celtics play that was going to be a turnover, a crucial critical turnover that could have given Milwaukee a chance to uh, get this game. I forget the exact situation, but the, it, it could have changed the entire game. But Marcus Smart ripped the ball away from Giannis and on his back. Flipped it over to, uh, Al Horford and Horford finished basically the clinching basket and from there it was a free throw match. So, uh, Smart can be a stabilizing force on top of being a crazy guy who dives and makes these
1: crazy plays.
0: Smart found uh, Al Horford for an alley oop
1: on a pick and roll, which honestly he had a huge game. By the way, so,
0: Al Horford was was a monster in this game, twenty two and fourteen. Uh, I, I think between that alley oop pick and, uh, on the pick and roll, and a bigger thing, Horford making five, uh, taking five three pointers, making two, versus taking six in the first four games of the series and making three that is as important as anything and i think smart impacts this from from an offense perspective so i think going into game 6 having smart there improves a lot of the uh, ancillary players in, in this series and i think it really elevates horford's game people forget that al horford is a center he's a 5 he's a big he needs somebody to feed him he needs somebody to set him up and smart is the best player on the celtics Currently, with obviously Kyrie's not going to come back, Smart is the guy that can set him up. So I think going into a game six in Milwaukee, Boston has a much better chance of winning game six than they had winning game three and four.
1: I was talking about this uh series in on the radio here in New Orleans a little bit, and it's kind of one of those things where I also thought maybe their injuries were catching up to the Celtics a little bit, and then you get smart back, and you can kind of see this team change a little bit. You mentioned energy, though. One thing I think is really kind of tilting this series here, and not to give more love for Brad Stevens, but it's coaching, and I don't understand what Milwaukee's doing at times with some of their rotations, and I always find it interesting when these coaches get into the playoffs and then massively trying to change up what they've been doing. We're going to Talk about this in a preview in a minute too, but they pulled Giannis for far too long in the first half and just to kind of hit his normal minutes, Giannis had to play the entire second half. You couldn't get him any rest in there to keep him fresh and that probably led to some of those kind of lackadaisical drives or not having the energy to drive and I think that's a big thing in this series too and you're seeing just one side clearly outclass the other.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I think that some of that stuff worked okay in Milwaukee didn't work in Boston and we'll see what happens in Milwaukee going in there on Thursday night for that big game six, um, adjustments surely coming. Uh, Shabazz Muhammad had a huge game with he was in crunch time. Yeah, he was, he was big in crunch time. Some serious uh, differences in crunch time. Shabazz Muhammad came in. Uh, Jason Tatum did not play in crunch time. Shemi Ojale was on there on the floor in crunch time. Uh, I think if the Celtics were trailing in crunch time, you would have seen more Tatum because he can create his own shot and Ogelet, despite being a statistically bad offensive player, is still a pretty good defensive player and can has the energy and the strength. I mean, in Boston we call it combat muscles. That dude's a tank. <laughs> and he can he can slide and take take a beating and and still defend pretty well. So, uh, interesting to see what, what adjustments will be made for Game 6. I do think that Smart might be the difference between, uh, like in Game 4, when it came down to that last shot, and Boston having to make a last shot to win. I think Smart is enough of a difference where in the Game 6, it might be on Milwaukee to have that last shot to win. It just might be a little bit to, to swing the series. All right, let's move on before we go too long on one series. If you want more on that, go to Locked On Celtics podcast because we've got that covered, Locked On Celtics. If you want the Locked On Milwaukee, Locked On Bucks podcast, uh, they have the Milwaukee perspective. So make sure you go search for those two teams, as, as well as any of these teams. We have a Locked On team-specific podcast for every NBA team We're touching on things from a certain perspective for a short amount of time. So all of these, Miami, Philadelphia, Golden State, San Antonio, everybody right now as we record this, everybody's recording a podcast. So if you want more in-depth stuff, go search for these specific teams on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's move on. Miami and Philadelphia, Philly wins 104-91. They win the Series 4-1. I came into the series saying – First of all, like, a couple of weeks ago, Jake, we said... We did, yep. We, look, we'll call ourselves out. We'll call ourselves out. We said, hey, look, Philly fans, people were touting the process and saying, hey, it, it worked. And I was like, oh, pump the brakes. Now you can celebrate a little bit. You know, uh, we saw the video of Brett Brown in a locker
1: room. That was guys. awesome, though. Like, you know, that dude deserves such a nice moment for everything he's gone yeah. through with this. In general, I would say that...
0: If a team celebrated like that after a first-round win, I'd have a, I'd had I would have negative things to say. But for Philly, for Brett Brown, as I, I was tweeting out, uh, I I compare Brett Brown to Andy Dufresne from my favorite movie Shawshank Redemption, who crawled through a river of shit and came out on the other side clean, and he did. And Brett Brown is a rare coach that survives that level of rebuilding, that level of tanking, and he's come out on the other side clean. And so for him, for the Sixers, that celebration is earned. And yeah, it's
1: yeah, it, it's a nice moment all around. And by the way, thank you, Philly, for finally some team joining the New Orleans Pelicans in the second round of the play. I'm going to throw that in there. <laughs> of course, come on now. We've been waiting for a little bit. We want some company. It's lonely.
0: I love how you just worked that in there
1: it was so natural wasn't oh, it
0: uh, it was good it was good you're you're waiting for that right opportunity to pass oh,
1: just just there's no pal yeah. stuff to talk about really today so i gotta throw it in there somewhere miami did get this one a little bit close though. they got it to single digits late in the fourth quarter and it, but then they still couldn't get it done and it's like what does miami do now
0: yeah uh look uh first things from the from the philly perspective if J.J. Redick or Marco Bellinelli or um, Dario Saric can be shooting from outside and just be one of those guys is a killer. That next series, whether it's against Boston or against Milwaukee, is going to be tough. Miami, though, whew, they are its in weird. A very tough situation. They are locked in cap hell. Next season, the 2018-19 season, they are committed to a guaranteed 116- million dollar payroll they're licking that uh tax line they've got a ton of money committed to hassan whiteside and
1: whiteside it's a a bunch of six men yeah, on that and that entire roster, other than Whiteside and Drogic, and I, I don't even know if I want Whiteside as a six-man for this. And you're paying him next year twenty-five and a half million dollars essentially. And you and I were talking about this before. I, one, I don't know if anyone liked this deal when it was given out at the time. I know I have a couple of friends who work in NBA front offices, and all of them said that this one might be one of the worst contracts the second it was signed. And I think you feel the same way, basically.
0: Totally. I said two years ago. I said in 2016 that this will eventually be regarded as one of the worst contracts in the NBA. You're paying him $25 million next year and then he's got a player option which he will absolutely exercise for $27 yes. million dollars the year
1: after.
0: 100%. Absolutely. Uh so he is he is going to be paid a ton of money. He's a 7-footer who does not stretch the floor which in 2018 now 1988 me would be like That's a ridiculous statement, but 2018 me is like, you gotta, if you're gonna be paid that much money, you gotta stretch the floor. And despite his penchant for blocking shots, which has dwindled a lot over the past few years, his block
1: shots... Two, tend to just go out of bounds, so it's not like what, it, we'll throw it in again, Anthony Davis does where he gets a block and either he keeps the ball or swats it to a teammate. When they just go out of bounds, it's not a turnover and it doesn't necessarily always help your team, so I always find that a little bit misleading too.
0: Yep, no, it's true, it's true. It's the old Bill Russell, so I'm gonna work in some of my, my, uh, bosses. <laughs> it's the old Bill Russell. If you, it, you'd rather tip it to yourself than block it out of bounds. Every once in a while, I'm cool with the message that you send.
1: To oh, the, the statement team. block. That's yeah, so yeah. much fun.
0: You just send it into the fifth row and you go like, oh, really? You're going to try to bring it in here? Well, that's where it's going to end up every time. But you're still also just letting them set up their their offense. And call. And if you're a spoelster coach team, you just call a, a good out-of-bounds play, which he is very capable of drawing up, and you've really done nothing. So Miami... We digress. Miami's in a tough situation. Philly is in a very good situation. Um, I don't know what they will do in the next round. Uh, I'm expecting them to face Boston, and I will say that Al Horford has had uh, statistically a very good time defending both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. He's had a lot of possessions against Simmons. is probably one of the best – Defenders in the NBA against Simmons, if you look at the numbers. And uh, Embiid has had statistically bad performances against uh, Boston. So, But that has also involved Kyrie Irving. So that series will be very interesting. And it really begins what might be a three- to five-year run of Boston and Philadelphia at the top of the East, depending on what happens with LeBron, depending on what happens with... Toronto and Washington, but Boston looks good with uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and now you add Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, and then Philly with all of what they what they've got. And let's not forget that they've got the Los Angeles Lakers pick that they could use yep. or trade, and they've got cap space that they could add a player. Uh, they, they're going to be the Bron- they're going to be really dangerous. Really yeah, like, dangerous.
1: Th- th- there's. There's no way, and I, I actually thought Miami might make this a little bit more difficult for Sorry Philly not. than – Four one, but then you have Whiteside playing ten minutes in an elimination game and scoring two points. Dragut's basically not really showing up this entire series. Some weird things from this one: Miami shot had seven more shot attempts than Philly in this game, and then they shoot thirty eight point six percent, and it doesn't end up mattering. And they have fifty four points from their bench because they're all six men, and you can't rely on your starters. So uh, I, you know, I think I read this one entirely wrong.
0: Yeah, I thought that Philly would be a little bit more vulnerable because of their youth, but their talent has been just tremendous. Their shooting, like I said at the beginning of this this portion, Bellinelli, Redick, Saric, one of those three has been lights out in all of these wins. And tonight it was Redick. And it could be any of those guys because when Simmons is going downhill and you have to account for him going downhill – and guys naturally react to him going downhill. That's when you say he doesn't need a jump shot because if he can get by hit the initial defender, which he often does, defenses collapse. And when you give Reddick, Bellinelli, Sarich an extra beat or two to hit a shot, that's basically shooting practice for them. And yep. when those guys are, are, when those guys have that shooting, uh, practice look, they're gonna bury it. Reddick is too good, and next season I don't know what's gonna happen because they're paying Reddick twenty million and blah 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 blah. That's an entirely different discussion. I don't know how next yeah. year's team's gonna be constructed, but this year's team picking up Bellinelli was huge. That was you know Ilya Silva. Like
1: yeah, they, they've done a good job, and they're, those are key guys for them. And you know, it makes you wonder about this buyout market, and is this exactly how you want it to be? But man, just they've got the right team there to kind of build around their core players. And in the middle of a season, you've got to fill out those end of roster spots, the kind of key rotation guys you're going to rely on. And they found them.
0: Yeah, they totally did. Okay, that's a lot of talk about these games because there's been a lot going on, and we still have one more game to go. And
1: this was quicker though. Let's
0: not spend a lot of time on this. San Antonio versus Golden State. Warriors win 90, 99-91 to take this in a gentleman sweep, uh four games to one. Uh, shout out to San Antonio for keeping this close, but with all of the injuries, with all of the Kawhi stuff, and it, I, the Warriors just completely overmatched the Spurs.
1: They, they just have better players and it's weird to think of a game where Golden State wins and they only have five three pointers made, but that's just how much they were overpowering the Spurs who have nobody other than Lamarcus Aldridge who finally showed up late in the fourth quarter and dominated to keep this one close. But other than that, their, their roster just does not put fear into you on offense.
0: No, they don't. They don't. And so San Antonio is in a, in a tough spot. They, they've got, the Kawhi Leonard situation, uh, which, you know, let's, let's look at this honestly. They, they have two choices. They, they can offer Kawhi Leonard the Supermax when he opts out, uh, or, or, or he can opt out, whatever. They can offer him the Supermax extension and, and, and keep him and try to build around him. Or they can say, look, we're gonna put him up and say maybe the Lakers, maybe another team can give us a big, young piece, plus picks, plus whatever, and they can hit the, the reset button. Uh, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens with the Spurs because they've been so dominant for so long. It's going to be weird to see them actually have to do what every other NBA team has done, which is suck for a while, and, and start over.
1: Yeah, if, if they want to get back into title contention, I mean, if you if you give them that Supermax deal, and things get weird when players are up for that Supermax or get the Supermax now. I think we've learned that. <laughs> Didn't quite be the thing to keep players in one spot, maybe like the NBA was hoping it would be. You can get to the playoffs with him and this roster. You're not going to go anywhere with him in this roster. No one scares you. You've got Danny Green, who we think we need to put out a, a missing persons announcement for not scoring a point in an elimination game. Rudy Gay shoots twenty under twenty-seven percent from the field. Patty Mills is Patty Mills. And then you've got Murray, who's not going to scare anyone offensively. And what are you supposed to do to score buckets to try and keep up with a team like the Warriors who can? And there's no answer for that, even with Kawhi Leonard back in this lineup.
0: Yeah, it's it's gonna be a tough offseason for them. And what's what's tradable? What's movable? Aldridge? Right. I mean you can move Aldridge and, and they just they just coerced him back, but he's got basically two more years before that non-guaranteed year in the final year of his contract in 2021. He's theoretically movable as a second or third option to somebody. Uh, Kawhi is movable, obviously. Gasol, probably not. Mills, who knows? But you've got a lot of, a lot of potential movement here. With, with the Spurs, um, obviously, uh, we're not giving a lot of credence to this game because the game doesn't matter. Uh, and and let's just look at this from the Warriors' perspective. Moving forward, the Warriors are now going to play the uh, – what's that team?
1: I, I forget who they are. They've just been waiting for their second-round opponent I for a couple of days now.
0: So we'll, we'll talk more about that <laughs> on the Lockdown NBA podcast moving forward. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Warriors and the Pelicans match up. But, um, for the
1: Spurs, huh,
0: it, yeah. it hurts me. It hurts me because.
1: It, you I, just summed it up really well though with the side. Like that's just kind of what it is at this point. As a Boston guy,
0: San Antonio has been like the Western Conference version of what I love about Boston. The stability, the tradition, the, 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 I guess, culture. Um, and uh, on top of it all, there's the personal tragedy with uh, Greg Popovich losing his yeah. wife. It's just, it's a very, I know a lot of Spurs fans personally, and I know a lot of them are just like happy to get the season over with because the Kawhi Leonard saga has been so just draining. And on top of everything for them, it's they're, they're just happy to have this thing gone they are a super interesting team. We've got a lot of super interesting off-seasons. San Antonio, you've got Washington, or or Toronto. Whichever team loses that series is going to have decisions to make. And obviously Portland, who was just dismissed unceremoniously by your Pelicans,
1: there are a- they, they have a lot of choices they need to make, too. Is it, A lot of these teams might need to look at, is it the journey or the destination if we want to get a little existential here? And it's, are you okay just not being a title contender and getting into the playoffs yeah. every year? And I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. You just need to kind of realize it. But if some of these teams do have real serious title hopes and, and dreams, you, you, you're going to need to take a long, hard look in the mirror.
0: I will just say this. This summer has the potential to be one of the most explosive off-seasons in NBA history. And we've seen some wild ones. But we could see some serious, serious star power move this off-season between the Raptors' backcourt or the Wizards' backcourt and or the Blazers' backcourt and or Kawhi Leonard. Or if the Lakers are trying to make a trade, one of their star young players. I mean, there's a ton of movement. Paul George is going to change. I mean, oh my God, there's so much movement that's going to happen this offseason. Let me tell you this. All of it will be covered on the Locked On NBA podcast. We are daily, Monday through Friday, on Locked On NBA, starting with the Biggest stories on Monday from the local experts all the way through the week. Our founding father, David Locke, has the Thursday podcast. And then we are all pitching in on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. The Locked On NBA podcast is a daily thing. You need to subscribe if this is your first time. If you are a Locked On Celtics listener, if you're a Locked On Pelicans listener, we hope that you have enjoyed this national perspective and that you will subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast on a daily basis because it's well worth your while. We will carry you through this playoffs, this off season. It's going to be nuts. Let's take a minute because we're already going way long on the well, podcast. It- but. It's the playoffs. Things are fun to talk about. But, man,
1: we're going to be missing some people potentially, aren't we? We could
0: be. We could be. The Miami Heat lost, obviously, tonight. And afterwards, we're hearing that Dwayne Wade is considering retirement. And, quite frankly, he should be considering retirement. Because, now, I have mixed feelings about Dwayne Wade personally. Early on Dwayne Wade was flash. He was the guy that was always on the floor. He was always just uh super fast, super hustle, just the guy that won the con- the, the 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 title was Shaq. I mean, he was he was a guy that everybody could kind of really enjoy. He had fun commercials. He had like what was it, like the T-Mobile commercials with uh Charles Barkley.
1: He was, I haven't I, forgot about those.
0: Yeah, he was a fashion icon. He had a ton like he was he was on top of the NBA. My problem personally with Dwayne Wade, I think in the end, as his skills waned, he started to rely on tricks and uh you know I I remember him taking Rajan Rondo out and hurting his elbow, and and kind of getting a little bit dirty towards the end, which sullies, I think, his reputation. But I think, in the end, Dwayne Wade has had a Hall of Fame-level career, obviously. So um, despite the personal feelings that I have for Wade and some of the things that I did not like about his the end of his career, I, I think that Wade's body of work if this is the end and he's not under contract for next season. And I can't see, like, I, I think for Miami, I think this was, this was a, a fitting goodbye. There's no reason to bring him back. There's no reason for him to go anywhere else. He's made all of his money. I think Wade should retire this off season and just ride off into the sunset and go off into the hall of fame and start working on his speech.
1: Just do your thing. He, he said it will either be Miami or nowhere, which is the right attitude to take. And yeah. if they just don't really want to be competitive next year and want to try and break this team up and move some of those six men that are getting paid uh, like $15 million a year each, throw them out there on the court and let them just have some fun and do a retirement tour. But he did say earlier in the year he doesn't really care about that. He did have some vintage Dwayne Wade moments here at the end of his tenure in Miami this season. I think that's enough to go out on. But hey, I don't fault anyone from playing a little bit more. And if he has one of those You know, huge games next season if he's back, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: and also having a potentially end-of-career vintage finish was Manu Ginobili, who in the lone Spurs win had a vintage game. And, you know, look, Manu is still under contract for one more year at like $2.5 million. And he has said he wants to come back.
1: I'm not sure if he will or if he should. Forty ones up there in age, and man, does he want to kind of maybe slog through a weird season with them next year?
0: That's the big question. Like, do you want to go through? Look, let's look at this realistically. Even though the Warriors are going to have some decisions to make, and maybe they make a trade of a big player, either Draymond Green or, um, um uh, Clay Thompson. What? They're gonna, they're gonna have to make some decisions. There's no doubt either this offseason or next offseason, the Warriors, unless they decide they want to lose money and they don't care about losing money, but that's another episode. There's still the, uh, Houston Rockets, there's still Other teams
1: in the West that are ahead of the Spurs? Yeah, there's teams in their way, and like you said, he had that vintage performance in their one win in this series. And, again, it's just, you know, I I love what he's doing at the end of his career here, coming off the bench, just doing whatever's needed for this team, taking less money. But, I mean, so, you know, I don't want to try and speak for him. I'm just going to say this. If he's out of the NBA, that's a guy I'm really going to miss.
0: Totally, totally. I mean... Uh, he's had some really wild moments. Last year, blocking uh, James Harden. like That was awesome. And look, as a 40-year-old myself, a uh, 40-something-year-old. There you go. We'll we'll leave the something up to the imagination. I'm impressed that he's out there (laughs) still doing these things. So... um, Ginobili the type of guy that if if we could just get him back forever, it'd be awesome. But
1: it'd be so great.
0: At some point, he's gonna go away, which sucks. He has had a tremendous career, um, and definitely a hall of famer. There there may be some of you who are listening who say, "Well, I don't know," but just know that oh, he's a lock. International Ginobili has been just awesome. He's had a tremendous career. It's been, it's just been fantastic. Now, and Tony Parker, look, Tony Parker is turning thirty six. Same age as Dwayne Wade. Tony Parker is no longer under contract next year. Maybe they bring him him back. Bring him back on a minimum, depending on what they want to do in uh, San Antonio. But hey, look, Parker. Parker owns a team in France. Parker wants to do other things. They might as well. Again, why, if you're that age, do you want to come back to San Antonio and fight through another season where, especially if there's questions about Kawhi,
1: or even if they trade him or move him yeah. then you know you're not going to be winning so why do you necessarily want to go through that yeah. and it's it's tough to kind of make a decision for these guys and we won't know probably for a little bit but man if these if this is the end for those three that's that's quite a trio we're talking about a little bit here so you know make sure to pour one out for him at the very end of the off season
0: all right let's preview the the upcoming games because for some reason the NBA has scheduled four Wednesday night games. It's going to be a big one tonight. A little much. It's a little much. So let's start with Indiana at Cleveland. And I want to just say with this game, it all hinges on LeBron. I think LeBron is tired. And there's been some question about whether LeBron is tired or disinterested. I think he's tired because he's putting up numbers. But at the end of these games, we've seen him standing around and I will just say this. I think he played all 82 games in defiance of his age. That I think that he said, I'm 33, but screw this. I'm going to show you that I'm not really 33. But you know what? He is really 33. And let's look at the numbers. Minutes played. He played over 3,000 minutes this season. The eighth most of, eighth most of his career other seven came at 26 years or younger combined. He's played 53,597 minutes. Compare that to Dirk Nowitzki. Who's played over 56,000. Tim Duncan, who finished playing over 56,000 Kobe Bryant, who finished playing 57,000. All of those guys, Duncan retired, washed Kobe retired, washed. Dirk is washed. And, LeBron is a one season away from matching those numbers. And he's 33 and he's still pretty good. But a bunch of other elite players, Hall of Fame, Pantheon level players at those level of minutes were washed. It's, 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 it starts time to go downhill. To, it's time to accept that LeBron is losing a step, a half-step, something. And it's obvious in this series. And I think LeBron and the Cavaliers made a mistake by playing him 82 games and 3,000-plus minutes this season, and it's showing up in this series. And in this game, Cleveland might win, but it's super important to watch how – tired LeBron looks, and if it's close at the end of the game, can Indiana do enough to limit LeBron, and
1: can they finish this, if they win this game, they're going to win this series? uh, Oh, absolutely. And one thing I'll say with the minutes is there's an extra day off between Game 4 and Game 5 here. When that happened between Games 1 and 2, we did see pretty sensational LeBron. So maybe that plays into it. And then a couple notes from the Pacers side of things here. If you look at Game 4, the Pacers played terribly in that one. And they only lost by 4 and were in it right up until the very end. Oladipo got a call from his college coach, Tom Crean, to maybe help him fix his shooting. And if they can get a little bit more from him or for from Bogdanovich after a 30-point performance when he was kind of quiet in Game 4. I really think the Pacers can win this one. If they're shooting poorly, though, you've got to attack the offensive glass, which they've done successfully in this series. Otherwise, I don't think they have a chance.
0: Two other things that we want to look at here. Lance Stevenson actually cracked some of LeBron's facade. It's like Drago bleeding against Rocky. He's like, oh, he the Russian bleeds. Lance Stevens actually got LeBron to push off and get a tech. And if LeBron, if, if Lance can lance his way into LeBron's head, then that's going to be really really interesting. And the other thing is Kevin Le, uh, Kevin Love's thumb injury.
1: Yeah, that's a concern.
0: That's a, that's a big deal. If that thumb injury really shows itself to be a bigger problem, the Cavaliers are in serious trouble. Can you imagine a first round that ends with the Cavaliers being eliminated?
1: We're, we're going to get a very clear picture of that tonight uh, when that one tips off or ends, I guess I should say.
0: Washington and Toronto, to me, personally, it boils down to a, a very simple thing. the There are two teams that you cannot trust. I do not trust the Washington Wizards. I do not trust the Toronto Raptors, which means... You trust the home team in that situation. So I think this this series is going to go seven. Washington doesn't really like each other. So in their home games, the role players are going to play better, and the people can get past that. And Toronto, the old habits do not show themselves as much under pressure. They will play more of that successful style. It's a more team-building style and a bench-driven style that has fueled Toronto's success. So for me personally, I think the home team has the advantage in the series. I know it's a 1-8 series, but it's a very evenly matched series between two teams that you cannot trust, and so I'm going home team all the way.
1: Yeah, you're seeing Toronto wilt a little bit under the pressure here. They're kind of getting away from what their identity was, that new vision of them during the regular season with Washington's game plan coming out and trying to then force Lowry and DeRozan to beat them in game three, and they weren't able to do it. And then in game four, they switched the game plan and was willing to let those guys kind of pass and do different things, and they they weren't prepared for it. And you see the Raptors getting a little bit cute with their rotations, not sticking to that Lowry and the bench mob that's been very successful. and if the Wizards can get a big game from Porter alongside Beal and Wall, and if Beal and Wall are creating, it makes him way more open so that he doesn't have to create off the bounce. I think this is going to get a little bit more interesting. I don't know if it's as simple as the home team wins. I think Washington's got the momentum in this one.
0: Yeah, I don't believe in, in game-to-game momentum. I think within the first couple of minutes, that that all goes away. You can You can walk into a game feeling confident, but – it doesn't matter if the other team comes out feeling good about themselves. Being at home, it's really underrated what it means to go to sleep in your own bed. Oh, absolutely. Go through your routine, take a familiar route to the, to the gym, and feel comfortable. That's just, again, I go back to things you cannot trust and things like comfort level and just familiarity – that stuff really, really matters. And look, that Toronto crowd is going to be super, super hyped. And I don't want to bring in that this, this tragedy that happened. Yeah, it's worth
1: mentioning though. No. There
0: is, there is. And I want to first of all give my, uh, support. And I know you do, Jake. Uh, and I've mentioned this on a lockdown Celtics podcast for all of our. Team to team, kind of, kind of jostling and kind of like, you know, ribbing and everything. We, we all, as fans, as people, stand with you in Toronto in this time of tragedy, but that is also a galvanizing thing for a city.
1: For we've a seen city. that, we've yeah. seen that be a factor before and it, it could very well carry over to this one.
0: Yeah. So let's just be honest here and say there is an energy that will be in the building. There's an energy about Toronto standing up for Toronto, and there will be fan energy that fuels the team. So there's a little something extra. And I don't want to – I want to be clear. I'm not trying to minimize anything, but there's an energy there that, that means something to a game, to, to fans, to people in that building, and that will carry a team, and they're playing for a city. They're playing for their city. And look, from a Boston perspective, I remember Big Poppy, David Ortiz, standing there with his arm raised saying, this is our fucking city after the Boston Marathon attacks. And that meant something to us in Boston. And that emotion can fuel a team. The team won the World Series that year. That was a galvanizing moment. So uh, I understand it. So let's move on. <clears throat> Utah, a 3-1 lead. The Jazz hold a 3-1 lead over Oklahoma City. Who saw that coming?
1: I, I, I don't know. I think this was kind of what you expect. You saw OKC look like the better team on paper, and then you realize it's a bunch of individuals playing against a team, and I think that's made a real big difference here. And now that the emotions are kind of heightened, and you need to rely on your teammates a little bit more, I think that's really where Utah has a big advantage, if you're just looking at it from that aspect, not even necessarily the play on the court.
0: Yeah, so the the Jazz and the Thunder are playing in this series that uh, Ricky Rubio has had a tremendous impact on. Uh, let's look at the the plus minus. Rubio,
1: this is, this is wild.
0: Plus forty five, and Russ is a minus forty five. I read that stat. You looked up that stat, and I'm just just marveling at it. And and my take is. Russell Westbrook kind of outsmarted himself in Game 4. And after uh, the Rubio triple-double, he was like, I'm going to shut that shit down. And I think he took that to an extreme. I think, basically, he outsmarted himself, and the Thunder were overly aggressive covering that. And the strategy truly, honestly, is let Rubio beat you shooting. And if he beats you in one game shooting,
1: that's okay. It's He's okay. He's not necessarily going to do it more. Yep. Yeah. Let him prove it. It's not a big deal. Do not
0: overreact to the one game. I, I've said this to, about other things. It's like the, the movie 300 with the Greeks, the Spartans. Don't break the phalanx. They'll have their moment. Don't break the phalanx. Let the, just stick to the plan. I think Russell Westbrook did not stick to the plan. I think the Thunder overreacted to Rubio. Russell Westbrook took it personally and now he got himself into trouble, into foul trouble in, in game four and that put the Jazz in a position to take a commanding three one lead. The Thunder have to be the most disciplined team in the world and they have to Take game uh, game five, and then they have to repeat that discipline in game six. I think they might win game five, but it's going to be tough to to close out this series for them.
1: It, it's going to be hard. And you look at what Utah's done really well, and that's kind of turn OKC into a very half court predictable offense which their defense just completely swallows up they've done a good job of limiting what's made them kind of scary this year but that's by slowing the game down and limiting the transition opportunities for okc where they're really the best and then being solid on the defensive glass and not allowing them to attack that and that's a lot due to go bear don't forget about the impact of math teacher joe ingles in this one <laughs> he's been so uh, absurdly good for Utah as that kind of glue guy on the court just doing whatever you need that they have to stick Paul George on him and he's lethal from the corner and that doesn't allow Paul George to switch nearly as much to take away Donovan Mitchell to help on Ricky Rubio and those guys that it's really opening up lanes for those guys and you know it, they're so worried about Joe Ingalls beating them that they're letting the other guys do it the ones that are bigger threats to do it and I don't know if that's necessarily the way to go here but it's working for Utah and I just don't see any reason why it's not going to continue
0: no I agree I agree Jingles is killing it, and when you have to waste your best defender on him,
1: on a guy just standing in the corner, and he's he's a great three point shooter from there. Don't get me wrong, but it it it, it makes Paul George a one dimensional defender because he's just you've locked him in the corner. It's great that anchor spot is working.
0: This is where they really, really, really miss Roberson because he could have either checked, um, yeah, he could have checked Jingles, or he could. You can say, all right, fine, Paul George, you go on, onto angles and then we'll put Roberson on, on uh, Mitchell and we'll, we'll roll with that. But not having him just takes away a monster defender. And I know what he, what he does to the offense, but you, you really, I hate to say it this way, but you have to waste Paul George on angles.
1: That's, that's, you do, no, you do. And it's, it's just, they're playing right into what Utah wants you to do. And Utah's good at what they do. So it's just kind of a perfect storm for them in this series, at least the way it's playing out so far.
0: All right. Final game on the docket Wednesday night. Minnesota, Houston, Rockets lead 3-1. This is a closeout game. And look, I don't want to waste too much time on this because I just don't think Minnesota has enough to Close out Houston. I think they have a decent plan if they stick to the plan. That's a
1: huge if.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I think it's really with Houston, the plan is simple. I've been saying it for a long time. If you're going to, if they're, they're running the picker, switch, 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 contest the three point shot, run them off the line and then drop back into the, into the lane. They are not shooting that mid range jumper. They refuse to shoot that mid-range jumper. They will not try to soften the body using the boxing analogy. They will not try to soften the body by taking those mid-range jumper. It's a three or it's a layup. If you run them off that three-point line and you pack the lane after that and you adjust your rotations, you can beat the Rockets. Now, Minnesota doesn't have necessarily the horses to do it. I think they've had a decent game plan, but... They just don't have enough to pull this off
1: you know i think a lot of what's maybe made some of these games a little bit closer than what we were expecting was houston not shooting particularly well for from three and like you say they need to start switching and or go over screens i don't know what they're doing and in game four they did it particularly in that third quarter where they went under almost every single screen while defending houston who's a tremendous three-point shooting team so sure give those guys some more space and then all of a sudden boom it's nine three-pointers made in your face and they put up 50 in a quarter because of that and I have no idea what they're doing there. You'd rather get sliced up by a James Harden Clint Capella lob pick-and-roll action every time versus those guys getting hot. They're trying to play the odds. I don't think Houston's a team to play the odds against. We've seen that burn people so far this year. Like you said, you run them off the three-point line. You realize twos are worth less than a three, particularly if you're Minnesota, who's not a great three-point shooting team. And I just don't know what they've kind of been doing in this one. You need a new defensive game plan a little bit, and it's just kind of sometimes math wins out, and they don't realize that.
0: Yep. So now the question is if Minnesota loses does uh Tom Thibodeau survive? Does he lose any sort of his uh GM abilities? Does he oh, what happens to him?
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, there, that it's a yet another I feel like we've we've set the stage for like 10 other podcasts in the show.
1: Which did uh, all of our prep work for the off season. There you
0: go. Uh, and we have gone way, way along. We're getting into a lot of trouble by going much longer than we should. But, hey, yeah. it's the playoffs, man. We are sitting here. We're getting you set up. We got all of the games recapped. We've got all of the games previewed. We even touched on some of the retirement stuff. So you will sound smart when you go into work tomorrow or today or later today, whatever it is. So I want to thank everybody for listening on this extended Locked On NBA podcast. I'm totally trying to justify how much, long, how much longer we've been <laughs> on this show. But I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please do subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. We are daily. So subscribe. Get this into your podcast rotation. You listen on your way to work. Get to work. And you can talk intelligently with your coworkers about what's happening in the NBA. So four. The final time tonight, I am John Corrales on Twitter, at Reds Army underscore John, the regular host of Locked On Celtics.
1: And I'm Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast.
0: Subscribe, share the podcast with all of your friends. Say, hey, why am I so smart about the NBA? Because I listen to the Locked On NBA podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.